Hey, Lisa. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. We just uh, got off our interview with Peloton instructor Matt Wilpers, and that was just a really lively and interesting conversation. I'm so glad we got to do that. He is amazing, and um, I, you know, I'll be the first to admit I do not. I'm probably one of the few people left that does not have a Peloton. I would love to have one, um, but in normal times when I'm teaching a lot of cycling classes, uh, I don't think I would get a lot of use out of. Uh, a, a bike at home indoors because the last thing I want to do is get on another indoor bike when I'm not teaching I'd rather be outside riding um so I unfortunately don't have one but um I, I can access the Peloton classes so I've, I've actually used some of his classes on my bike trainer that I have hooked up and I love um he teaches uh the the power zone classes for Peloton which are very similar to what I teach at Lifetime the, the power cycle so a lot of this, all the same principles. And so it's been really neat for me to watch him um, and see how he coaches the same principles in just a different way. And he's, he's got such a great um, base of knowledge and experience. And um, I always feel like we always learn a lot from other coaches. And uh, I feel like I've learned a, a ton from him. Yeah, so Matt's really interesting because he came into cycling as a runner, uh, and he before he started with Peloton, he ran for Georgia State, and he was a CPA and was uh, went to med school briefly, or and then decided that he was going to pivot and start a career in coaching. And so he is not only a cycling coach, but also a run coach, and of course he's one of the top instructors for Peloton, as you mentioned, and. The reason we wanted to have him come on was because um, so many of our runners have been using Matt's classes to supplement their running, especially during this pandemic. Many people have decided to take the plunge and either purchase a stationary bike, whether Peloton or another brand, and use the Peloton app, or they're doing runs with the Peloton app just to have some guidance while they're running, um, a voice in their head, however they're using it. And um, we just thought it would be great to talk to him as coach to coach, but also just to hear how he's approaching the pandemic. And it was a really great conversation. I just want to share, I got a Peloton last year um, for Mother's Day. It was a, a very extravagant gift I recognize, and I do not for a second take it for granted that um, I have one. It was something that I decided to take the plunge and get and our whole family uses it because I was had a meniscus tear last year as I've talked about on the podcast and had surgery exactly a year ago and um, the Peloton bike was instrumental in my recovery and I very much credit um, my ability to um, do a lot of Matt's power zone classes at a zone two and three um, coupled with some running with my um, ability to go out in September and run at an, a little bit of a slower pace than what I'm used to a marathon and qualify for Boston. And I've talked about it on the podcast before. I, I very much believe that cross training was instrumental in helping me do that. And I'm a big believer in cross training. And of course, Lisa, as you mentioned, you're a big believer in cycling and what it can do for running. So we talk a lot about that and we don't want to spoil the interview, but we just want to tee it up and, and let our listeners know that it's a great interview, whether you cycle or not, you'll learn a lot from the conversation. Um, so Lisa, Talk to me and tell me what's going on with you this week. Um, you know, just uh, <laughs> can lose track of all the weeks now, and uh, you know, just really settled into um, sort of Groundhog Day, same you know, same routine, same uh, everything, just uh, getting through the days. Um, we had uh, you know, we posted this on our Facebook page, but we had uh, 
a little bit of a, you know, some very like devastating news that actually isn't new news. Um, this is something that happened in February, um, but we posted on our on our Facebook page, and I'm sure listeners have, have heard the story now. It's kind of gone national of, of a, a, a guy from Georgia, Ahmad uh, Arbery, who was out for a run and um, ended up getting shot. And he is a black man and he was simply out for his run. And, um, you know, there are several versions of the story, but the, the end of the story is that he was shot by two men in a Georgia neighborhood who claim they thought he looked like a suspect in, in some robberies. But um, you know, in, in my opinion, when you get in your truck, two men, and you bring your guns with you, um, and you're chasing somebody who is just running on their own and on, on a street, regardless of what you think, obviously, there's some, um, you know, that that is not going to end well. So, um, and it did not, and he was shot, and he, he was killed. And uh, again, this happened back in February. So it's interesting to me that it's just coming um, to light now. I think it has to do with some video being released. Um, but there is a um, sort of sort of uh, memorial or a, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, but a, a way to um, kind of stand up and, and speak out against this tomorrow, which it comes in the form of running. Uh, was it 2.23 miles? I think it's 2.23. Yeah, it's 2.23 miles, which is the date, the date of his death. that he was killed yeah. um, by two savage men who decided that they were going to exercise what's called vigilante justice, grab their rifles and kill this poor guy who was probably scared for his life. I probably absolutely scared for his life. I cannot imagine what he was going through during his last breaths as he was simply going out in his neighborhood for a jog. And I use the Not word a jog, a run. <laughs> they keep yes. saying the word jog in every headline. I know. But I, uh, it's a hate crime. No doubt in my mind it's a hate crime. And what tomorrow's run signifies in addition to the 2.23 miles to signify the day that he died, it also is his, would be his 26th birthday tomorrow. But it's also stand up for Maud, justice for Maud, because this video, until it came out, this DA had not yet indicted these two people. And apparently, from what I've read, and someone can correct me if this is wrong, it's a small town and apparently the DA knows the father. It was a father and son in their truck chasing this poor guy down. And um, he hasn't been indicted yet. Now, I think it's being sent for indictment, but it's, it's too little too late. These guys are still, they were never arrested. And the video came out, it's very disturbing, but to me, you watch the video, there's no question that they were chasing a man in a truck with their rifles. And it's because he was black. And it's crazy that in 2020, you can't go out for a run, a drive, you, you, and face masks. There was a guy who was wearing a face mask who was, who was accused of being a suspect this week because he's black. And I, I don't want to pretend that I know, and I don't mean to assume that I can even understand the position of a black mother. And I don't, I don't want to even go there because that is insulting. But I will say I'm a mom and you're a mom. And I just can't imagine what his mom is going through and his dad. And the least we can do is 
use this platform, our podcast, because he happened to be running to talk about what a horrific crime this was and that he deserves justice. This was a hate crime, in my opinion. And it should be federally charged, in my opinion. So, yep. yeah, and I think, you know, us as as runners, um, obviously, like you said, using our platform because we're runners and, and the way that um, uh, his family and friends have chosen to uh, remember him is this run tomorrow. It's not really about the run. If you can't run, go out and walk, but it's about showing up and it's about uh, speaking out and having this conversation and raising our voices, regardless of our backgrounds or our um, experiences, uh, really showing up um, and, and saying that, that this isn't right and whether or not we can understand it. Um, you know, we enjoy the privilege of going out and running and um, not, I don't think ever really thinking about that. As women, maybe we think about our safety and that's un unfortunate as well, but we don't go out and worry or we don't send our kids out to run and worry that they may get um, shot when they're out or, or profiled or pulled over by police because they're simply running while black or driving while black. We don't, you know, that's not something we can understand, but I think that it's really important that we be there and that we um, speak up and that we bear witness. And so this really isn't about the run part of, of, of what people are being asked to do, but it's showing up, it's getting out and it's saying that this isn't, isn't right. Well so said. I hope that people will do that. And um, the information is on our Facebook page. And if you just Google his name, Ahmad, A-H-M-A-U-D, Arbery, and you'll see, um, you know, people can read, but uh, our podcast should be coming out on, on you know, Thursday night. So today is Thursday and Friday is the day. So we ask everybody to do that. And, and um, his family and friends are asking that people post on social media. Um, I would, I would uh, just add the one request that we don't post pictures of smiling and happy and especially, certainly not running in groups, but um, you know, this is a serious, um, it, it's a, it, it's not um, a, a smiling matter. It's not something to be happy uh, while we're running. It's something to really reflect upon and um, but recognize, and I think by um, posting it on, on social media and uh, overwhelming social media with the hashtag for his family and friends to see, at least lets them know that there um, are a lot of people who stand with them. Yeah. So on a much lighter note, I actually have a little funny story. So um, kids oh, are- I need a funny story. Yeah. So I need a funny story. Kids are bored right now. And um, I have a high schooler and um, apparently a friend of his friend, a friend of my high schooler's friend the other day, briefly, because we had it taken down, made a, a meme about us, Lisa. So we are now at a point- What? Can you send it to me, please? Oh no, it's deleted. I got it off right away, but apparently- is it a bad name? <laughs> no, it was just, he, you know, our, our Instagram account is public because we have a business. And so he took a cute picture of both of us. It was taken of us in our Run Farther and Faster shirts. And he put big writing, good job, mother runners, Lisa and Julie. And it was clearly mocking us, but I was like, you know what? It's all right. It's 40 I'm going to assume that it wasn't mocking us, that they were saying good job. So I'm sure. just going to assume that. Sure. Okay? It, was, it was a fake. That sounds very nice. It was a fake what? Instagram meme account by some high school boy so we were in with all of these other memes there's a picture of you and me arm in arm with lettering across so it was taken down quickly if we're worthy of, of a meme I feel like we've <laughs> achieved a new status in life like 
That makes me very proud. My kids would be very proud to hear that. Yeah. So yeah, yeah we're thank now... you for lightening. Thank you for lightening things things sure. up a bit. That's that is wonderful. <laughs> my pleasure. Yes. So anyway. And thank you for taking it down. My pleasure. It was my pleasure to take it down as well. So um, I also want to add, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts um, because I've been running solo and I've gotten a lot of questions. I don't know if you have as well, just people inboxing through Facebook a lot. What kind of headphones do you wear? And um, I think we've talked about it before and we they are not a sponsor of our show or anything, but I just want to plug this because I think they're the safest product out there. But if you're listening to a lot more podcasts while running these days, we recommend Aftershocks or another type of bone conduction headphone because you really can hear ambient noise outside of um, the music or podcast you're listening to. It's they don't little, they don't go in your ears, do they? Do they go above? No. Like they go above your ears. They're nothing in your ears. Correct. They hook around your ears and then the actual listening part of it sits on right outside of your ears on the okay. bone. And it's, it's sort of a vibrating conduction. It's, it's great. You can hear everything outside of the headphones. You still have to want to wear because sometimes you can get lost in your music or your podcast and not pay attention. And of course, right now it's utmost importance to pay attention with everything going on and making sure you are social distancing and others are social distancing from you, blah, blah, blah. But for those who've asked um, or who are looking in investing in a pair, um, I have the titanium ones. They're a little bit less expensive than some of the other models. They work great. So that's my tip of the week with respect to social distance running. Um, I think we've exhausted the mask topic and how to run socially distant. Um, but if there's anything else that you want to add to that, Lisa? No, I've, had, I've actually had a really good week of not seeing many people out. And when I have, everyone's been very friendly. I did have just a totally unrelated story. I, I did have to go to the grocery store today. Um, and, you know, I know I, I dread going, but, um, you know, I put on my mask and my gloves and go into the grocery store and I was picking out some fruit and a woman like six feet away from me starts yelling at me that I came the wrong way down the fruit aisle because the arrow on the ground shows the other way, which I hadn't noticed that there are arrows on the ground in the grocery store. And so I quickly apologized and said, I'm so sorry, I didn't notice. And I backed up to leave and she, she just ripped me up. She said, well, you should notice you're being disrespectful. <laughs> she started to like, I was like, I felt really bad for her. I was like, I must, I said, grocery store shopping must stress you out too. I get it. It's, it's okay. So I've been fine with runners out on the roads. Everyone's been really cordial and nice. And I'm seeing a lot of the same people out and it's, it's actually very nice, but the grocery store, man, fierce. So now I'm, I'm making sure I pay attention to the arrows on the, on the grocery store floor, which most people I think don't realize because most people today were not following those. I don't think intentionally, but it's very hard, especially when you have a mask on to see down on the ground that there's an arrow one way or the other, but she was not a happy woman. So Anyway, follow the arrows on the grocery store floors if you're going to the grocery store. And you know that that's not a reflection of you. It's a reflection of the anxiety that she's feeling that she took out on you at that moment. I know. I just, I was <laughs> just, just trying to pick out my strawberries. And, you know, I was like, oh my gosh. You know, I expect that out when I'm out running, but I didn't expect it in the grocery store today. So um, yeah, but other than that, that's my tip is watch for the arrows. If you're going to the grocery store, watch for the arrows on the grocery store floor and respect that six feet social distancing in the grocery store too, because there are some anxious shoppers out there. Yeah. So we don't really have much news with respect to the race front. There haven't been any additional cancellations of any of the bigger races quite yet, but we're, we're keeping our eye on that. But I will say that there's been, um, 
definitely um, more virtual races being rolled out. Um, I will mention one specifically, um, and that is typically in June, we run Lawyers of Heart. That's a race that's uh, near and dear to me personally, and I've been on the, on the board of that race for a few years, and that race has gone virtual. I set up a team, if anyone would like to run virtually with me. Um, all proceeds go to the American Heart Association, which right now is working very hard because there are um, a lot of heart and stroke related impacts with respect to COVID-19. So AHA is working hard with doctors around the country and also working with locally with COVID-19 patients to um, look at the signs. And so as a result, the team is um, on the Lawyers Have Heart website. I can put a link in the show notes and it's the Run Farther and Faster team. And all you have to do is run the race a 5k or 10k distance and you submit your time and there will be some type of leaderboard and they're still working out prizes and things like that but I do believe there will be some type type of reward for runners um, who run and achieve particular times but you'll be um, entering the race and giving to a great cause that impacts many people locally and nationally. Great yeah thanks for mentioning that I think that's um, going to be kind of our wave of the immediate future, at least, are our virtual races, because I don't think we're going to have anything on the schedule through at least July, August. Um, I don't know if you saw one one note one note to make. Um, Army 10-miler registration was supposed to open May 20th, and they have delayed the opening of the registration. So I think that kind of indicates that they're debating whether or not uh, to open registration and take in registration fees and get people registered when there may be a chance that that's not going to happen or the race has to be postponed, but that registration has been postponed. So we can keep an eye out for a new registration date. All right, well, we're gonna now turn it over to our conversation with Matt Wilbers. Lisa, I hope you have a great week. You too, Julie. All right, talk to you later, bye. Bye. So Matt Wilbers, welcome to the Run Farther and Faster podcast. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, I appreciate it. We're excited you're here. So we wanted to kick it off this today just to have you provide a little background about yourself um, for those who may not be familiar with what you do and um, for Peloton and your running and cycling background. So tell us where you're from and how you got your start in running. Oh, great. Yeah, no, um, I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. Grew up in, in Marietta and um, went to college at Georgia State and then moved up here to pursue, moved to New York City where I am now uh, to pursue my career in uh, finance and, and uh, accounting and all that stuff. But um, my career in fitness uh, started very early on uh, with my, my parents got me into baseball. You know, in, in Georgia, you grow up, you play baseball. You play baseball or football. And my parents were like, you're too small. You're not playing, you're not playing football. Sorry, dude. <laughs> I even asked them once. My mom's like, heck no, no <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm very thankful for my mom for that decision. Uh, but my, my dad, you know, my dad had me in baseball, which was awesome. But then, um, uh, you know, I, I eventually found my way into, uh, I played, I was much more successful at soccer. Um, and then when I got to high school, I was playing high school soccer. Uh, my sister was just like, hey, you know, cross country is in the fall, soccer is in the spring. And if you want to try out for the team, you better be in shape. Uh, and so cross country was a way for me to get in shape for the soccer season. Uh, and it turns out that I got, I got cut from the, 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 the high school team, soccer team, my, my freshman year because uh, tryouts, because I, 
sales too small. <laughs> so, uh, so that, that pushed me right back into running even more. Um, well, actually, I, not really. I got, I, you'll, for me, I'm a little competitive. Uh, I ended up selling all my, um, my bikes and stuff like that. And I, I bought an at-home uh, like Olympic lifting gym basically for my, my, my bedroom. And my parents were like, okay. And I, I went back next year and pretty much outlifted the team uh, <laughs> and got onto the soccer team. <laughs> were you when you came up with that plan that's amazing to have that drive as that a, was my freshman year of high school <laughs> that's incredible I, I don't like being cut from things uh and so or, or told something and that, that i don't believe uh so anyways and then anyway i did soccer for a few years and but i you know i, I always did cross country in the fall and then i ended up really just loving cross country and running and, and the people that were there and and um and so i i, I uh decided and then one day i bumped into the the college coach from Georgia State where we were training and he was like hey you should you know you should come you know check out the team if you're checking out Georgia State and uh that turned out to be a great decision um, wait back up so you were just running and the coach saw you running and liked your form and obviously your speed and approached you and said come run with us we I ran it I ran it like I saw a bunch like I trained out this place uh, called Columns Drive in, in Marietta in okay Cobb County and they, they brought their team out there and I saw, you know, I saw them running. I was just like, it's very, you know, I'm like, who are you guys? And they're like, Oh, from Georgia state. And I, I talked to the coach and he's like, you should come out. And I'm like, done. <laughs> uh, so I, I went from being on the trajectory of playing college soccer to being on the trajectory of college running. So back up, I have to ask this too. So you, as a teen approached the coach and asked where are you all from and had a conversation. And as a result of that, coupled with the way you ran, the coach invited you. Yes. So anyone listening, that's a great lesson right there. On don't be afraid to speak up and say something because. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. Introduce yourself. <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. Okay. Keep going. Sorry. Yeah. No. Yeah. So yeah, feel free to pull me back on the rails or off the rails anytime. That's fine. <laughs> I will definitely deviate. That's for sure. Um, so, but yeah, no, so I, uh, you know, got into, I, I ran for four years for, for, for Georgia state, um, travel, you know, studied abroad for a semester. So I had a red shirt a semester, but then, um, I ended up, uh, you know, when I ran at eligibility, did a master's in accounting in, in Georgia at Georgia state. And then I rode for a season, uh, crew, uh, for the team, that was just a ma that was a fantastic lesson on on how hard that sport is. So I ran cross country track for Georgia State for four years. Uh, you know, graduate and then start racing marathons. Um, you know, getting into distance running, and that wasn't you know from going shifting racing five k's, eight k's, and below to running um, half marathons and marathons. It's a whole different ball game. How did that start? That you went from um, graduating from college running cross country, which is longer distances, but certainly not a marathon. Uh, as a young adult moving to New York City, how did you suddenly decide I'm going to start a new job and run marathons? Uh, I was, I was uh, you know, I decided I wanted to move to New York City because I, 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 I saw myself going to a career in finance, mm -hmm. uh, but I, I started that career in public accounting. Um, and so I was working on financial services as, a, uh, as an external auditor. Um, but then on the side, I joined this, running team up here, uh, Central Park Track Club, uh, awesome team up here. And, um, you know, I thought I was good coming out of college. And then I joined that team. And I was like, okay, there's, there's like 50 year old guys on this team that could smoke me. Uh, and I was just like, 
So, you know, all the listeners out there, you're, you're, one thing you're definitely going to hear from me is that, is that I never want to hear, I'm too old. Uh, I never want to hear that from you, ever. <laughs> That's no, not true. Um, Especially in cycling. I will say cyclists. I've been, oh, yeah. I've been smoked by, like, grandmas in, in time trials. So. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So that's not an excuse in my book. Um, so yeah, I, I, I ran with that team up here and then I, you know, I just had this desire to want to see if my body could handle a marathon um, and see, see what, see what I, you know, if that was for me, cause I, I really enjoyed running long distances at that point for training. So I was like, well, let's go race it. Um, and boy, was that a lesson on nutrition. Um, wow. Uh, so I, you know, I, I did that and then I, I ran my first marathon out in California and they mixed the, they mixed the number up, the chips up between my mom and my, myself. So I ended up getting, so your mom ran, was it her first marathon also? So she was, she was supposed to run a half marathon and then, but I got her chip and they, for whatever reason, they, they, you know, they, they used the chip as hers and, um, she ended up placing first place. (laughs) <laughs> and age group got a check in the mail, all this stuff. Crazy. <laughs> so, um, and so, meanwhile, you got, you got like your, your time was for the half marathon. Then do they put your marathon time as the half marathon? No, no they, they, they like, they like basically gave her a marathon time because it was weird. Oh, oh, oh her name was on. Okay. I got it. Oh yeah. Gosh. I don't, I don't know how, like on the back end how that works, but, uh, it, it, she ended up running a marathon. She ended up finishing first place in rage group. Uh, so was, it was funny, but so I, I had a, my goal was to qualify for Boston Marathon. Um, and then, so I had, a re, I had to run another marathon. I ran Jacksonville, Florida. I had a great marathon down there, qualified for, for Boston. Uh, and then I, I got really excited about Boston Marathon and overdid it, overdid my training. Because I, at that, you know, you guys get it. Um, there's being an athlete and there's being a coach. Being a coach means you understand the why uh, and you understand like training loads and stuff like that. When you're, when you're an athlete, like I was just an athlete at that point, I was always, I've always been told what to do. And I just figured I knew what to do. And I got myself into some trouble. I overtrained uh, and ended up in air cast. <laughs> let's, let's back up with, between your first marathon and your second marathon where you did qualify for Boston. Did you change up your training or do anything to hit that Boston qualifying time? Oh, oh to, get, uh, to get into bo- uh, second, uh, yeah. to qualify for Boston. Yeah. Uh, you know, I really dialed in my nutrition big time. Uh, dialed in my nutrition, focused on the, on on my training, and I just took everything more seriously. Um, that was really the big the big thing. But for me, it was the nutrition. I my first marathon, I went out with a bowl of Cheerios in my stomach, <laughs> and and I bonked at like, you know, was it mile thirteen? I thought it was over, uh, but luckily someone handed me a gel, and that's why I discovered gels. Um, so. <laughs> Yeah, that got, brought me back from the dead. So uh, trial by fire. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, you know, ended up qualifying for Boston in uh, in Jacksonville, Florida, and then um, uh, you know, really ramped up the training. I, I had I had I I ran a three hundred one at my second marathon, and then I wanted to go sub two fifty at Boston, uh, and so I started training at you know ridiculous paces mm-hmm. uh, and uh, ridiculous mileage. I probably was running. 80 miles a week ish and, um, and with way, way too fast. Uh, and, um, and yeah, and then ended up partially tearing my Achilles. And so that, that set me out for a while. And that's when I discovered cycling. 
cycling and coaching were the result of that injury. Uh, I couldn't run, I couldn't race Boston. So I discovered cycling. I started racing uh, competitive cycling. Um, and then, uh, I started coaching because I was the only way that I could really live that, that get that joy, that, that joy of running through other people. What did you learn? Um, now you started coaching was part of your reason in addition to having the joy was part of it to gain the knowledge so that you wouldn't re-injure yourself in the future. That's a great, well, so I, the funny <laughs> thing was like, I, I start, I got into coaching cause I went to a, a spin class one day at, at Equinox and uh, the instructor came up to me. She goes, you know, uh, she goes, Hey, I'm starting a, a, an all female triathlon team and we need coaches. Y- you look like you really know what you're doing. Uh, <laughs> would you like to come coach? And I'm like, I'm glad you think I know what I'm doing because I don't. <laughs> but uh, but no. So so anyway, she she invited me to come out and meet the team and and uh, and coach. And I was just like, wow, all these people are are getting up at you know the dark hours of the morning and they're trusting that they're going to show up and get something worth their time at this hour with me. So that was a massive responsibility to me. It was like, hey. You better teach them something, you better help them, and they better achieve their goals. Otherwise, you fail. Like, I failed as a coach. Um, and I took it very, you know, I, I, I took it very seriously. Uh, and because that's, that's the only way you can keep, keep people coming back. And so it was, uh, that was a big eye-opener for me. And then I, what I realized is that I really enjoyed watching my athletes be successful. There's nothing that beats that. That's why, that's why we coach, right? Absolutely. And um, do you find that as you evolved as a coach, starting from then until now, do you find that you continue to learn things and specifically what, how do you learn new information as a coach and what information most recently have you learned as a coach that you would like to share? Oh man, I, you know, this is, Peloton was very kind to me to let me keep my coaching business. And, and, the, and the pitch was, and it's really, it really is true, is that I learned from my athletes, I think, just as much, if not more, than what they learned from me. Um, and I think that the day-to-day struggles with, with society change. Over time, it evolves and changes. What technology people are using, um, what drives people, uh, the big thing for me coming out of college was how do I, how do I get inside the head of the athlete that's a beginner that's never done this before, that's terrified, um, whereas I've been around elite athletes my whole life. Uh, and so really trying to, 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 to figure out how to speak to an athlete like that and to get them motivated. And that was, those are like some massive learning opportunities for me, from how you structure a, a training session to how you speak to the athlete, to the feedback that you give them, um, to the differences between men and women. Uh, those are the types of things that, that you really learn. Let me think about recently, you know, technology is always changing. Um, and so one of the things that's recently come out that I'm, that I'm getting my head wrapped around is these power meters, the stride power meters. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us what you know, because we're still trying to figure it out and we're on the fence. So share with us anything that you have found. Well, I think too, well, for power, or like power we we can rely on it in cycling it's it's yeah. a different um it's a different metric in running so it's you know as a cyclist too i think ooh, power with running but then when you look at it at through running it's a little bit different i think yeah you know i'm i'm definitely not an expert but at the same time i i always say i always tell all the athletes that i work with 
I'd rather have more data than less. And data comes in two forms. There's qualitative and there's quantitative. Quantit the quantitative data is, is important, but the qualitative data, I would say, is more important. It's how did that workout go? How do you feel? What's going on inside your head? That is probably the most important data I receive. Um, but the, the quantitative data is also important. And I will always take more quantitative data. Um, and so power is just, you know, we're starting to get three, three dimensional views of what's happening with the foot strike. Pretty fascinating. Um, you know, I'm no expert with the data yet. I'm still learning, but it, just monitoring and seeing the trends and seeing what's happening with an athlete when they have a good day versus a bad day. And how does that come through in the data? It's pretty cool. Have I started coaching to it completely yet? No. Uh, will I? Maybe. I think it's got a lot of potential. How do, how do you take the athletes? I mean, I, I like how you said qualitative and quantitative. Yeah. How do you get athletes who are really focused on the quantitative side to sometimes back off? Like maybe their FTP went down a little bit, or maybe their whatever data, whatever metrics, their pace is, is slower that day, their speed is slower. And they say, oh gosh, well, what's wrong with me because my FTP went down? Or how do you get athletes to then turn that focus to the qualitative versus the quantitative when we have so much data? And, and for those of those listening, FTP is functional thresh, threshold pace. Um, power, so, power, power, sorry. And um, power. And so it's a metric. But for those who run, it's just what Lisa said. Basically, I feel slow today. My times aren't good today. What's wrong with me? Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's, you got you to gotta say, you got to look at when you're, when you're investigating why, you can often find it in the data. You can sometimes find it in the data, but, but I think it's always good to have a read on your body because it's, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a chance to learn, right? So you had a bad day, okay? Um, one of the things that we look at in Training Peaks is the performance management chart, right? Uh, what training load have you gone through recently? It, it, it's to have the right conversations with your coach. Um, and so we can take a look back. What, what was your sleep like? What was your nutrition like? And sometimes we just have bad days and that happens. But it's also teaching the athlete to say, to brush things off and to not take, take themselves uh, too seriously, but also like to, to brush off bad days and bad races. Like, but always, I, I try to say like, every time something bad happens, like, great, like draw, draw, draw like a circle around it, put it, ring fence it and say, now let's, let's look at this from a scientific perspective. Like, what's the learning opportunity here? What went wrong? Why did it go wrong? What can we learn from this, right? Now, how can we flip this into a positive? And that's how every time something like that happens, be like, oh, yes, learning opportunity. I've failed like, a, you know, I came millions of times in my life. I've had terrible workouts millions of times in my life. Um, it's all about how we, how we handle it and if we learn from it. Um, so take this as learning opportunities. And love, I love that. Yeah. So to that end, um, talk to us about you've, obviously sustained an injury or two based on how you got oh, into cycling. Yeah. <laughs> um, those are always learning opportunities. Tell us um, what, how you face, when you face an injury, how you handle it and how you channel it into an opportunity yourself. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I've had a, I've had a variety of injuries. L luckily never, never anything too serious. And I think all of us are always, you know, I've never met an athlete that's not struggling with something, whether it's mentally or physically. Uh, right now, I have a partially detached left hamstring. I'm doing great. <laughs> uh, you know, my, there's, there, I, could, I could talk to you for like, I go to see a doctor and the doctor's like, dude, you, how are you functioning? <laughs> um, and the reality is we all have something going on. Um, and 
and injuries are our body is signaling something it's saying something what is it saying it and why is it saying it um and and i think it's important for athletes to know that there's bumps in the road and that nothing's ever perfect like there's this graph i love to show um all the athletes i posted on my facebook and i posted everywhere it's just this amazing graph of like how the body adapts to training, uh, to training stimulus over time. What's the difference between a beginner, intermediate, and advanced athlete? I go, you know, this is, this is a perfect graph, right? Is your experience gonna be this perfect? No, this is just, in a, in a perfect world, this is what it looks like, this is what you can expect. Um, and so, you know, what's the body saying? What's, what's the learning point here? How can, how can we turn, how can we change our training so that this doesn't happen again? But it also teaches us to listen to our bodies, right? That's one of the most important things we learn as athletes. Okay, what does my body need? When does my body need it? Uh, what is, what's, the, what's the cause and effect relationship? All these are learning opportunities. Yeah. How, do you, how do you think cycling, because you got into cycling after you were injured yeah. running, how do you think cycling has improved your running? Oh, yeah, great, great, great question. I, Cycling, getting in, I grew up as a mountain biker. So first of all, my, my mom was a ski, ski patroller and she was just like, you are not going skiing with me unless you're in shape. Uh, <laughs> so she bought, she put us out on the mountain bikes and got us in shape that way. But then when I came to New York, I, you know, I, I went, I got into road cycling. Um, but cycling had went from being a, one of the least scientific sports to one of the most scientific sports, simply with training with power. And, and, the, and the, the, the analytics that go with cadence and power and everything else. Um, and so that teaches us a lot about, about how our body responds to training. You can really see the body's response to training very closely, more closely than I will, than I will say sometimes with running uh, in the data with cycling, which is cool. Um, and also when you look at something like a like Grand Fonda or on these big long rides, the nutrition strategy is, is changes. And that's also something you can learn from it. But from the cycling side, you know, cycling is a great cross train for running, but I wouldn't necessarily say that running is a great cross train for cycling. Hundred <laughs> percent agree. Yeah, yeah. Why, well, why do you explain why you say that? <laughs> well, when you you have you have central fitness, which is like your cardiovascular system, and you have you have peripheral fitness, like the specific muscles working, right? Uh, centrally, they're both good for each other. They both complement each other. They're working. They have the same energy systems. Blah blah blah. Um, but the efficiencies um, that you build are very different. And that's why we have things. That's why triathlons work, right? You get off the bike. I did an Ironman and it's like, I get off the bike after 112 miles. I'm like, how am I supposed to run a marathon? Are you kidding me? And then somehow I'm like flying and feeling great. I have no idea how. It's, that's the beauty of it. It's weird. Um, but for whatever reason, um, running, you know, there's this, there's more of a strength component to moving the pedals around than there is to running. And so you, you, it, you're not really developing the right strength per se, uh, peripherally to, to drive the pedals um, and to, to take advantage of the strength component of cycling, but cycling versus running, um, it seems, it just seems to work better. Uh, but that said with all my runners, I, you know, if they're going to use cycling to cross train, unless they're missing out on their running workouts, their more intense running workouts, I, I bring their intensity of cycling down so that we really target the aerobic energy system as much as possible. Right, so it's more aerobic building without the impact of running, so to just yep. to build on that aerobic. Yep. Ah, that makes sense. 
Now, kind of transitioning to your, your, your teaching in Peloton, how do you get your athletes that are in your classes or your athletes that you coach to kind of understand and adhere to, to the workouts that you're doing? Like, I know for me, I'll go in sometimes and be doing an endurance workout and it's like 10 minutes in zone two or 10 minutes in, and people, especially type A who come in and want to like hammer it. It's really hard to drive home why we're doing this like there's a purpose so this this workout's an endurance workout like how have you found that challenging and how do you um you know emphasize to your athletes whether it's going to be their cross training on the bike so they have to keep it zone two or it's an endurance day or you know they're doing a different type of workout how do you get your athletes to understand those different there's a different purpose for every workout oh wow. <laughs> That's such a fantastic question. <laughs> um, well, I have that all the time. You know, I go into class and I know that I've got like, I've got like two 10 minute endurance sets. And I'm like, first of all, how am I going to keep people engaged for 10 minutes straight of just zone two? Yeah. And, and how do I convince them don't overdo it? Because that's not the purpose of this workout. So Wait, I'm can I, and can I give a mention, Adam Rothman, known as Adam Dean on the leaderboard. I want you to hear this. He was one of our runners and he's, I see him hammering your power zone workouts all the time. <laughs> two or three. So Adam, if you're listening, here's your answer. <laughs> All right. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, the, there, there's always, you have to first tell the athlete why. And if you can get them to buy into the why, then they're going to buy into the workout. They're going to do the workout. Um, but you have to, you have to teach the athlete. You have to, you know, tell, you know, like, just like you said, why are we doing what we're doing? Um, I will say that teaching endurance rides, you know, are, it's probably the most challenging from a coaching perspective. It's probably the, you know, and it's not as fun as teaching something very high intensity, right? It's just not, but guess what? Uh, what's the most beneficial, you know, you need to have a mix, right? Um, you know, a lot of people talk about this 80, 20 rule um, and, and it, it can happen, but if the more you ride, the more you need to, to pursue something like that, where you're doing a lot of endurance type work. But um, you can't smash your legs every day. You just can't. And so what I talk about is like, you know, we do thought experiments in class. We go, okay, so what if every day you come in here and, and slam your legs? What, what would happen? And, and we run through these thought experiments that I know that they're all going through. And I tell them what the outcome is. And then I explain why that outcome is going to be that way. And then they realize, I hope that they, they realize, and they're like, this is me on a bike looking to a camera guessing. Uh, but this is, but, but, but the reality is I used to, you know, I've, I've coached, I used to, I coached for over 10 years now and having been in front of athletes, just like you guys for many years, you, you hear a lot of the same narratives. So all I try to do is, is recreate those narratives and talk about them and put them out in the air for people to think about, um, and, and run through those, those stories of like, okay, if we come in here every day and blow our legs up, what is that? What's going to happen? Well, number one, you're eventually going to get very mentally burned out. Two, you're going to get physically burned out. Three, your performance is going to be very volatile. Some days you're going to have great days. Some days you're going to have terrible days. Now let's take a step back. Now, if we actually do some great endurance work and we, and we really maybe focus on two, three hard workouts a week and we separate them right, we can really focus on having high quality sessions and preparing for those sessions, but also building a strong base, aerobic foundation, which we can then build on top of. And we can really start to get very um, predictive, predicted uh, performances. So it's simple stuff that you guys know, but it's at the same time, it's like, how do you present to the athlete? And at Peloton, the lovely thing we, we get to work with is music. So, you know, yeah. 
Well, as you do too, as you do too. So yeah. the, yeah. the music- That's the, key. I, I feel like that's key to making those athletes be able to make it through a 10 minute set or whatever, or, you know, motivate them to push it when they need to push that, that is always key to me. So. Yeah. But the, also like talking about uh, your experiences, what are your experiences related to the topic? And then also like looking at the pro athletes, looking at other athletes. And then of course, it always helps to tell some ridiculous stories by yourself. So. <laughs> so. <laughs> it definitely helps. So to that end, a lot of runners, um, who also cycle often ask the question and we will pose it to you to get your opinion. Um, I'm training for a marathon. I um, am coming off an injury, but I really want to, and I really want to keep riding my Peloton or riding my, or cycling, but I'm not sure how to integrate my training with my cycling. How many times a week should I ride? Oh man, I get that question probably like 10 Mm -hmm. times a day. (laughs) <laughs> um, well, now, now, are you now are you folding in the injury component into this? So you're saying like I'm injured, I'm coming back from injury. Or I'm, I'm folding in the component. A lot of people ask. Let's let's say specifically masters runners who've been running for quite some time and realize that they just cannot run six seven days a week anymore, and they need to implement cycling as a supplement to their running, but they still want to be competitive in their age group and and run well. And that's a question we get a lot. It's something we integrate into our training programs, but we'd love to hear your thoughts. Especially now as all of our, all all of our athletes are getting Pelotons because they're stuck at home. So we get a lot of people like, I'm getting my Peloton delivered tomorrow. How many times a week can I ride it and still keep training for running? So. Yeah, absolutely. That's a fabulous question. And I love answering it. Um, my answer to that really is you have to know your priority. Uh, a lot of, a lot of like, I've, uh, one of the, one experience I had in the past was when I was coaching a team, right? We, we had, we didn't think this one through, right? And this, this is what happened. We had, uh, a training program for a triathlon, a training program for a run, like a run race. And we had a training program for a cycling event. All the athletes on the team signed up for all of them. And I'm like, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> so my, myself and the head coach were sitting there like pulling our hair, you know, pulling the hairs out of our heads. And we're like, oh, no, uh, <laughs> you have to pick one. Um, and, and if it's triathlon, you know, there's, the, there's a whole science to that, too. Um, but so when it comes to like cycling and running and bringing them together, assuming running is your priority, your then goal is to then allow cycling to complement your running, Right. Compliment means does does means not interfere. It means to build up, to improve. And so there again, there's there's central fitness and there's peripheral fitness. The best thing we can do with cycling is to improve the central fitness, which is primarily that you're gonna be running on is the aerobic fitness system, aerobic energy system. So zone two, zone three type rides, and getting that kind of uh, that kind of volume in is good. But that also doesn't slam your leg, your muscles, and destroy your muscles so much that your next run is going to be a disaster. You don't want to come out from a cycling workout and then be a hot mess for your run workout. That is not what you want because you got to keep the quality run sessions, like your, your speed sessions, your long run. Those need to be quality sessions where you're performing well. Um, but if, if, if you're coming off bike sessions and you're a train wreck on your runs, that's not good. Uh, so yeah. Is that, is that what you guys think too? Absolutely. Um, it's something that, I mean, I know Lisa, you can speak to this more. Why don't you share kind of what you do because you teach so much, but running is when you're training for Boston or any of your races, you're doing exactly that. Yeah. I mean, I, I substitute 
time, basically. If I know I'm teaching a 45 minute class, I'm not going to go out and do an eight mile run. Maybe I'll do a four or five mile run instead. And I keep it aerobic after I know myself to keep it, you know, if I'm teaching nine classes a week, I can't go in and hammer every class and still try to run. And, and my question for you too, is how do then, how do you then fit in strength training? Because that we've found is very yeah. critical. And for me personally, as someone who teaches the classes and trying to get in my runs and as other stuff going on, like getting in the strength training is challenging. So what do you, how, how do you advise your runners? What do you do yourself um, for strength? How do you fit that in? Strength training is super important, super important. Uh, it makes us more resistant to injury. Uh, you can also improve mobility and all those good things. Uh, and it's, it's important to keep up. But when I, when I look at strength training for a, for a runner, right? So say you have running intensity and volumes going up, you're getting closer to a race. That means the strength, intensity, and volume needs to go down. It doesn't need to be eliminated. It needs to go down. Because, again, you don't want something, you don't want your non-priority sport to interfere with your priority sport. That doesn't mean it needs to be gone, though. Um, and, and so in the off-season, what I challenge the runners to do is to uh, work on strength. You can start to lift hef- heavier, work on improving those neuromuscular connections, right? Also, go, go see a physical therapist, uh, get, get an assessment done. Where, what, are, what are the trouble spots? What are some great exercises you can focus on and sort of taper into the season uh, to bring with you to, to, to make you more resistant to those injuries? So say you have plantar fasciitis or IT band syndrome. What are some great exercises you can, you can put into your, your routine that are going to help you stay out of trouble during the main season? But you can't, you can't be lifting, you know, like Arnold Schwarzenegger coming into – you know, coming into a marathon training, you know, in the middle of a marathon training plan program, your, your runs are going to be atrocious. So, and then go riding zone five, zone six rides. And <laughs> no, this doesn't work. <laughs> it's a disaster waiting to have, I think, if, and we talked about this a little bit at the beginning, it's really getting inside the athlete's head yeah. and figuring out what's motivating them. What, what is, what is their goal? How do you then appeal to them to convince them that those, you know, toning something down and ramping something up is, is, um, is appropriate. And that's, yeah. that is really, I think, I think the ultimate challenge is, is getting inside that athlete's head and, and getting them to believe you. Yeah. But it, it's important to, you know, like from a mobility standpoint and a neuromuscular connection standpoint, that's where a lot of the things are you can maintain throughout the season. Um, and to keep those types of things like proprioception, being able to stand on one foot, being able to have good balance and, and core stability, um, that kind of stuff is, is good to sort of, we call it strength maintenance, right? Uh, maintain through the season. Yeah, I love that strength maintenance. I, w- I want to touch on one other thing real quickly too. Just um, huh. how about how, how do you advise your your cyclists, your indoor cyclists, the ones in your classes, on on transitioning to outdoor riding? Because I think a lot of people are looking at that now, and it's one of the few options we have to do outside. And I find that a lot of my athletes in my classes are very scared of going outside for a lot of you know valid reasons. How do you how do you um, coach people how do you advise on that transition to outdoor riding oh man well first of all i encourage it <laughs> uh absolutely uh i i always looked at indoor riding as training for outdoor riding um but then but then I, now i realize you know like living in new york city um unless unless you have four or five hours for a ride i'm inside uh because i don't i i don't want to risk going around the park or whatever and getting hit by a car or whatever. So I get it. Uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that that's why gravel cycling is taken off, right? Mm-hmm. People getting away from the cars. Um, yep. But that said, I, I love it. I love it to death. Um, transitioning 
you know, we don't, I don't really, we don't talk, I don't talk too much about it. I should. Um, what, what I, what I used to do with my athletes that were, that were transitioning outdoor cycling were, you know, first of all, practice indoors with the clips, practice, of course, clipping. The first thing everyone does when they get outside of the clips, they fall over, right? Uh, they, they <laughs> was when they stop, they stop, they forget yeah. their feet and boom. Yeah. So every, everyone I, here, here and there, I still do a, I, I still do a session in Central Park with someone where we, we focus on the basics of clipping, unclipping, preparing to unclip. That's where you got to start. Um, but then, you know, just being very careful. And one of the things that I've seen that, that that's always been concerning for me as a coach um, is uh, people go from zero to a hundred so fast. And especially in New York, they, people, I, I feel like that people think that overnight they can be, become professionals in anything. And it, it you can't, su- you can't substitute experience. You can't. Um, and I grew up as a mountain biker and I feel very lucky for that because it taught me bike, bike handling skills. And so what I've seen is, is a lot of people that will, get on a bike for the first time in their life or in a long time, get on these road bikes that are made to go 70 miles an hour um, and then try to go 70 miles an hour with, with no skills, with no handling skills. And that is a, that is a disaster waiting to happen. Yeah. My um, kid's cycling team starts with the, all the kids with um, cyclocross. Yeah. Because that teaches them bike handling skills yeah. before they ever get on a road bike. And I've seen it firsthand how that, I mean, I tried cyclocross for the first time last season and I realized how much better my bike handling skills can be. So that's so the gravel mountain biking, cyclocross is, I, it's, it's, it's totally different. I mean, I've, I've been a road rider for, for many, many, many years. And I has, I reluctantly took this dive into cyclocross. It is, it's um humbling, but it, it's awesome. And it really does drive home the fact that those handling skills are so important. And um, my son does mountain biking now, and he said that's helping with his cyclocross, which is helping with his yeah. road cycling. So those handling skills, I think, are, like you said, are often overlooked. Yeah, I, I was the, the first team I joined here in Manhattan was a team of people that, that road raced to stay in shape to professionally mountain bike. That was my bike racing team. Uh, and so I'll never forget one of the first races I was in, there was a big crash right in front of us. And one of the guys, the guy was like, the guy on my team was just, I mean, this guy was jacked, right? He was huge like muscles everywhere and he, he bunny hopped a curb went into the grass like at like i'm talking 25 miles an hour bunny hopped a curb went to the grass bunny hopped back out meanwhile people are just like tires flying everywhere it's like <laughs> yeah he's like no big deal that's like you know you know the, the logs that are in front of me and the yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's, that's, crazy. That's, that's a great advice. I think that's really important advice for people who do want to transition to outdoor bikes is to focus maybe on the handling skills first, whether that's doing clipping yeah. in, clipping out, or just going and riding on dirt or on mountain bike trails or, um, you know, getting into that first to get those handling skills. Yeah. Here, here in New York city, we have the, it's called century road club association, a CRCA. Um, and they, they host like bike handling skill clinics and stuff like that. And it, you know, every city's got to have a, a, most have organizations of some sort. Mm-hmm. Find those organizations, do those clinics. You know, where we, you hold each other's handlebars or whatever. Those types of handlings, those those types of clinics are just like absolutely essential. That's great advice. So, um, speaking of trying to achieve goals during this time, we have a lot of okay. runners who are hopeful, and and we are too, that there'll be some semblance of racing in the remaining months of 2020 and we're certainly not sure but assuming that there's something for sake of this question um 
talk to us and tell us your story a little bit because you've been running for years and you suddenly had a, a big PR at the New York City oh, Marathon. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for thanks for noticing. Oh, sure. and a BQ, and you are someone who's probably been doing a lot over the years of the same thing. Not necessarily because you want to, but because your time is limited, and there's a lot yeah. of people in your shoes with respect to only having so much time to train for your own thing. So, what did you do differently? Um, that you can share with our listeners as they um, implement some things as they ramp up their training for marathons? I love it. I love it. I love this question. Um, one of the things I like to point out is that um, great athletes aren't born overnight. Like they don't just happen overnight. Uh, great athletes, obviously there's a genetic component, uh, but there's also great athletes come from great habits, um, great habits, great routines. And that's why athletes are nuts about what they eat, what they do, because all these habits are, are what send them in the right trajectory. Um, so right now, it, during this you know, pandemic, you know, it's, it's a really a time to sort of say, what are the good habits I have going right now? What are the habits I need to, need to work on? And so like, for me, you know, what, what went right um, was prior to that, you know, like the previous year, what no one really saw was I had a horrible marathon. <laughs> um, I was a train wreck. And, and the reality was, was that, you know, I, you know, as a coach, you, you know, you, you get it. Um, it's that you're, you have to be up with athletes and, and rule number one in, in coaching is that the, the workout is the athletes, not the coaches. That doesn't mean that you're not actually working. Your legs are actually getting, getting beat up. Um, and so I was trying to layer my training on top of the coaching and it, I just, I just imploded, um, that year I got, I got injured and blah, blah, blah. This past year, I was just like, you know what, I'm going to look at my, you know, I'm going to take a step back here. And one of my, one of my rules is my athletes is like, I would rather you be undertrained and get to the starting line rather than being overtrained and or injured. I'd rather have that any day of the week. So I, I took a dose of my own medicine. You know, I was just like, I would rather be undertrained and get to the starting line feeling great than be overtrained and be a hot mess. Um, and so this year, I, or last year, I just um, took a step back and every week I was just like, okay, what's, what's the number one run I got to get in this week? The long run. Okay. Anything else I get in above that, it's gravy. It's good. If, if, if I feel like I can do it, I'm going to go do it. If I don't feel like I do it, I can do it. I'm not going to do it because every week of my coaching is different. Like I have some weeks where, you know, someone gets sick or whatever, I have to go jump in, teach extra classes. That, that can absolutely be the difference between injury and non-injury. Um, and so I just was, was easier on myself, much easier on myself than I, than I was in the past. And, and that was the right ticket because I got to race day and I was very excited to be there. I went into that race being like, you know what? I, I didn't even expect that time. I, was, I honestly thought I was going to come in at 3.30. <laughs> share, share your time. I was like, two, was it 2.54? Yeah, it's pretty amazing to think that you're going to get a 3:30 and then run a 2:54. I don't. Yeah, well, I don't, you know, I, well, I, in the beginning of that race, I was laughing to myself. I was like, "You're going to pull the ultimate fly and die," and then all all your athletes are going to see this, and they're going. You're going to get harped on so hard. You're, and uh, but then I, I I ended up running with these um, two Spaniards that couldn't speak any English. I can't really speak any Spanish, but we, we were running well together. Um, and, uh, and, and these guys were just so dialed in and, and we just work well together. 
uh, and I stuck with them. And once I made it past the halfway point and I, I, you know, assessed how I was feeling, I was like, oh, I got this. Um, so it was good. It was good. But the other thing was that I, um, I really controlled my nutrition too. Uh, that's also what changed. Um, this year, I, in the past, I've always told athletes, hey, look at what they're, what they're going to be serving on the course, where they're going to be serving it. Adjust your nutrition strategy around that if you plan on relying on that. I have such problems with my stomach uh, and nutrition that I, um, I said, you know what? I'm not relying on anybody else but myself. Um, so I took, a, I took one of those packs they have that, that not, it's, not, it's not like a fanny pack. It's like something else. It's like, it's like basically like speed belt. Speed belt, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I stuck my the nutrition that I had gotten dialed into in there. And then every stop I went to, I only had water. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the time, I was relying on that nutrition. And, and what was your nutrition? Uh, this year, I used um, SIS. Oh, okay. That's enough. Uh, and uh, it, it really worked well for me. But I think what's most important, too, is like as you train your, like, your athletes, what are you going to use on race day? Practice it. Practice it. Practice it. So on race day, mentally, I was there. Physically, I was there. Did you take uh, more nutrition, more calories than the normal, or did you use the same pattern you'd been using in years past? I took in a little bit more than I expected. Um, but at the same time, I, I you know, every, about every 45 minutes, I was just like, okay, what, how much do you feel like taking in? How much do you feel like taking in? And I, I took in that amount. Um, and uh, it just worked. That's great. So, you are you planning on did you register to run boston uh in 2020 i need to register i haven't registered yet oh for 2021 okay so you're 2021 okay great so hopefully we'll meet you in person there yeah no i want to do it my sister did it uh was it last year and then i got to i was there to watch bex uh, my colleague run it oh yeah she did great she she is an amazing athlete yeah she did amazing yeah. Uh, what'd she do? Like a two forty something? Was that? Yeah, it was somewhere down there. It was, yeah. she crushed it. She's amazing. So, uh, speaking of backs and we're, we'll transition into our final set of questions. Um, we want to ask you, and you touched on this a little bit, talk to us about what you've learned as a coach, um, with respect to the differences of coaching men and women, uh, particularly, um, male masters runners and female runners. Um, We know that often um, coaching is not necessarily in a virtual coaching specifically. Sometimes it's hard to understand exactly what each athlete's going through each day, but over the course of your experience, what have you learned and how have you applied that to your coaching? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, I love talking about this. So thanks for asking. Um, And um, you know, Rule number one in coaching is always treat every athlete as an individual uh, because everyone responds and has a, has responds to training stress differently. Um, and, but there are generalizations and there are trends that you see. Uh, and, and all I can do is speak to the trends that, I, that I've seen in my coaching experience. And there have been some very clear trends. Um, when it comes to men, uh, what I see most of the time is that they're overconfident. Um, and they're, 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 uh, the confidence is crazy. Sometimes they're their own worst enemy. Um, and, and they'll, and so, uh, and, and how should you say that? Julie's only laughing because oh, oh, we, that's the problem we have with a lot of not, and again, not everybody, a lot of our male owners are always the ones we're telling slow down. Don't yeah. do as much. Don't, you know, yeah. Dial yeah, it back. Yeah. We're always yelling at them. 
usually, usually they're they're the over the overconfident ones. I, not all the time. Again, nothing's everything. Nothing's right. across the board. But in general, I say usually they're overconfident. Um, and um, and you know, uh, yeah, that. Um, on the female side, it's usually I would say the, the flip, the opposite of that. Uh, the confidence is very lacking, um, whereas they could use a lot of confidence. Um, and so you have to be really coached to that. And so. But there's also the mentally, there's like the mental side. That's the mental side is like men usually overconfident, women usually underconfident. Uh, I, think, I think part of that is societal is like, what do we, what, you know, what are, what are we expecting of men versus women and that kind of thing. Um, but we could talk about that for like a, a project. Yeah. Um, but when you look at the physical side of things, you know, obviously men, women, very different things going on. Women monthly cycles that absolutely affects training. Um, and of course, you know, that also affects the, the rate of adaptation as well. The rate of adaptation that you see in men is different than women. Um, I, I feel like what, from what I've seen, men, men adapt faster to, to training responses than women. But that said that there's, everyone's still adapting to training responses. It's just a little bit slower for females. Hmm. Um, but uh, when it comes to like nailing workouts and nailing what you're asking for, Oh man, women usually nail it. <laughs> you got, I mean, you guys know how to follow, like just awesome, just fun to work with. Um, and so, but that's, those are the differences that, that I, that really kind of, that really stick out. I mean, we keep going on that, but I'd say that's a big one. What about I, you guys? What do you think? I think that women are generally harder on themselves when yes. they don't feel that they've achieved a workout, they beat themselves up more versus what you referenced earlier, taking the workout, just putting a big circle around it and saying, okay, what I learned from this, let's move on. I, and I just think that we as women tend to be harder on ourselves in general. So that translates to workouts. How about you, Lisa? Yeah, no, I agree. I think, um, and I, something that we've seen also as our female athletes get older, um, needing just more cross training or recovery. I mean, I think it kind of applies across the board, but especially um, our, our female runners. And and then once we get to, you know, we're older, we're, we're masters females. And once you get to masters females and menopause playing like a really big role in, in training and not only the adaptations, but, um, you know, but just how they feel on a particular day. So it's, it's just, uh, I think it is a very they're, they're not only, like you said, I think you have a great point about the mental side and the physical side being being different, but um, yeah. And and I, I think in general too, just master's athletes, we see kind of a shift to, um, to, to just needing more recovery and still can do well. Like we started this all by talking about 50 year olds who are crushing out there and we have 50, 60, 70 year olds who are crushing and setting PRs and winning their age groups, um, but how they train and how we coach them and the, 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 what we prescribe for them is very different than somebody who's 20, 30, 30 years old. So they can still achieve those um, PRs and, and big success, but just in a different way. Yeah. One of the great uh, books or, you know, I, one of the guys I followed that when I first sort of went down this path of coaching master's athletes was um, Chris McCormick, famous triathlete. I'm here to win his book and talking about, changing how you train to the changes of your physiology. And, and I really am a big believer in that. And one of the things that happens with the body as we get older is stiffness is we have, we got more stiffness and stiffness causes a lot of people to say, <laughs> we, we know. <laughs> and when people, people think of stiffness, they're like, ah, oh, I'm too old. I'm too old. I'm like, no, you're not. Your body, your body's changing. 
You just need to change how you train. And one of the, one of the easiest things that we can do is, is have better warmups. Um, I, I see it a lot of times in, in, with, in the classes that, you know, we teach here is just like, I don't, you know, I'm always putting emphasis on warmups, warmups, warmups. Um, and uh, because that can make the difference between a great performance and a terrible one. That could also be the difference between injury. With stiffness raises the risk of injury. And what's the number one thing that's going to keep someone away from a, a healthy fit lifestyle is an injury. So there you that's go. a great point. So to that end, um, you just spoke about adjustments and we're in a period right now where we're having to do a lot of adjustments. Oh, yeah. um, and it's tough. It's particularly tough on people who like the comfort of having a goal or a race on the horizon and knowing exactly what they're training for and when that race will take place. So what advice do you have to athletes out there who um, during this time of uncertainty continue to want to crush it, but also want to balance recognizing they don't want to be overtrained, but yet they want to be ready for when races do return. What advice do you have to stay motivated during this time? That's no, I love, I love this question. Like it's been talked about left, right, and center, and I've kind of settled on a few things. Um, you know, number one is now is not the time to be crushing workouts um, because uh, two things. Number one, you don't want to be doing tons of high intensity work. Uh, there's, there's no race. There's no race to be, you know, doing that. So that's, that's later on the, in, the, in the training life cycle, but also now is not the time to be going to a hospital. Um, so if, if you're out there doing VO2 max intervals on your bike, flying down hills, taking lots of risk or, or whatever, um, with higher intensity comes, high, can, can, comes higher risk of, of potential injury as well. Um, so keeping that in mind too. Uh, but the, the other thing is that what we talked about earlier is great athletes come from great habits and great routines. Now is the time to, to take a step back. And to look, you know, my dad taught me some, a lot of things important in my life, but one of the things that my dad taught me was, was to slow down, to think, to process, because today we're always on our cell phones flying around. Take a step back, reframe your life, circle your life a little bit. Okay, what's going right? What am I doing right? What are the right routines? What could be improved? What kind of routines, how could I allocate my time better to achieve the results that I want? That's what we could be doing right now. And so for me right now, I've taken a whole different uh, step back and said, what is my routine? What is my fitness routine? And really dialing that in. And it's been like going for runs at lunch, you know, like trying to establish times to do things and, and really feeling how, how good it feels to have a, a different routine and trying something different. That If you set a good routine right now that you can transition into your normal life, that will go a lot further than, uh, than training for six to eight weeks and then calling it quits. Um, so there's that. Um, on, the, on the other side, too, is like people with, with kids, um, now is the time where you can, your kids are around you, they're not in school. Now is the time to sort of set examples for your kids. Uh, living a healthy lifestyle, setting those routines and sticking to those routines, bringing the kids with you. I was very lucky that I had very active parents and I look at the habits that I've formed. Most of my habits come from my parents um, and it's not what they said, it's what they did. And so right now as parents out there, if you want your kids to be active, guess what you need to do? You need to be active. So get out there and go do some running or whatever you need to do. Uh, so there, there's that. 
So you, you are an example. Um, and then the other thing is like, when you think about races and stuff like that, it's, it's just a point, it's just a dot on the map. It's a dot on the map. And say, you know, we, we got New York City Marathon coming up, right? Um, we're not sure if it's going to happen or not. But at the same time, like what you can do is commit to that. Commit to that time and say, you know what? Here, plan A is that New York City Marathon happens. Plan B is that it doesn't happen. What happens on plan B? Is there going to be a virtual race? Am I going to run with my friends? What is plan B going to be? So let's have a, let's have a plan B, but don't let that prevent us from committing to something. Right? Um, there's lots of things we could do that are fun, that are engaging. You know, it might not be plan A, but, the, and, and, you know, lastly, as a runner, the, the, the few things I've seen is, is people, everyone's tense right now, right? Everyone's lots of anxiety. Uh, and I go out for a run and people are, people can get angry very quickly. Uh, we, we, need to re, we need to learn how to have patience for one another and relax and know that we're all outside. We're all trying to be healthy. We're all trying to do the right thing. And we're all trying to get through this together. So patience, patience with people, patience with our bodies. So love it. That's that my great, great <laughs> no, That's what we struggle with, with a lot of our runners feeling anxiety to go out to run because they're afraid they're going to get you know, yelled at for wearing a mask or not wearing a mask or running too close or they're going to see other people. What do they do? And um, I love, I love your advice. And I love your advice of having a plan B that is more in your control Then you can crush plan B. If plan A doesn't, doesn't pan out, then go crush plan B. And that way um, you're still, you still have a purpose in, in what you're doing yeah. for that dot on the, on the calendar, which I think is great. So Good. Um, well, we could talk to you all day. Like, really, I know, right? I love talk it. to you all day, but we really, we respect your time and appreciate you so much spending the time talking to us and um really like you said at the beginning we learn so much from other coaches and uh and we've learned so much from you and really appreciate your perspectives and and think your parents did a great job instilling those great habits and routines and <laughs> thank you um, we hope we're doing the same for our kids but thank you so much and we will see you virtually and uh and hope to see you in boston in 2021 I'll be there. Um, we'll all be there. So thank you again, Matt. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Thanks, Take Julie. Care. You guys have Bye. a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye.